The Free Vision app is where you'll find a growing range of on-demand audio and video to help you look to God daily. Search Vision Christian Media in your app store. This podcast is made available by Vision Christian Media. Thanks to the generosity of our supporters. Your donation today means great podcasts like this remain available to help people look to God daily. Please make your donation today at vision.org.au. What you believe matters because it determines how you live. What you believe matters. Hi and welcome. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Today we're starting a new series called Paradigm. A paradigm is defined as a typical example or a model. In this first message, Pastor Jeff is challenging us and our assumptions about what God owes us from a passage in Luke chapter 13. But at some point in your life, you have to decide whether or not you're going to allow Jesus to be your teacher. And you say, I know this is a little tough, but I know the road may be difficult and there may be many of obstacles in my way. But ultimately, I know this is the way that leads to life, so I'm going to follow it. I'm going to find it. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Good morning. Welcome to Christ Church of the Valley. Glad you're here. Uh, Look, I'm going to ask you to turn over to Luke chapter 13. So Luke 13, while you're turning there, I just want to say something to all those who, uh, who are here and you wanted to renew your relationship with God that you began maybe when you were smaller, or maybe you've been away from God in church for a while and you think, man, I'm going to give it another chance. I want to see what happens. I want to speak to you by saying to you that you are in the right place. Not because CCV is so great. We're only as great as our effectiveness as pointing you toward Christ. And he is your answer that you're looking for. It's not easy. It's not sometimes for the faint-hearted. But he will turn your sorrow into joy. He will turn your mourning into dancing. And he will begin to define for you your life in relation to the world, in relation to eternity. That's what Jesus can do. But you have to give him a chance. You've got to give him time. The Bible clearly says in Jeremiah 29, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. The Bible says Jesus is like a father who gives instructions to his little boy. Sometimes those instructions include restrictions, but it's not because he doesn't like the child. He wants to protect him. He wants the child to prosper. He wants to save the life of the child. But at some point in your life, you have to decide whether or not you're going to allow Jesus to be your teacher. Because if you don't, you're going to come to passages of scripture that are difficult at times. And if you've not all resigned yourself to the fact that, hey, I'm going to follow Jesus, then when the passages get tough, you will wane and you will say, well, I'm not in for that. And I'm not going to follow him that way. That's the time when you bow your neck and you say, I know this is a little tough, but I know it's the best way, the way to real life. And I know the road may be difficult and there may be many of obstacles in my way. But ultimately, I know this is the way that leads to life, so I'm going to follow it, and I'm going to find it. Now, I say all that as a precursor to this. And young people, I'm watching you today. High schoolers, got my eye on you. You need to learn this now. This is going to be hard. This is one of those passages where I'm over at Coffee Clatch, and I'm studying, and all the girls that serve coffee behind, they start getting worried about me. Are you okay? Because I'm pacing the floor. 
And I'm thinking, how on earth can I take what I am learning here and take it over to CCV for seven services on the weekend? People I love, if I'm having a hard time taking it, how can I ever hope that they would take it well? Because it is hard and it is difficult because it's counterintuitive. It's not natural. It's not instinctive. And so because I believe this is so hard and you know me, ultimately it's great news. At the end, it's great, but you got to go through the hard work to get there. And you know, that's my favorite way anyway, pour everything out into the funnel and it all comes out in the end. So halfway between, you might be thinking, where's he going with this? But you know, if you stay with me, you'll be severely, greatly encouraged in what we learn, but you got to do the hard work. So because I know this is difficult and if I just come abruptly head on, that some of you may even leave, I'm asking you to stay till the very end. And so I'm going to begin with two vignettes. Here's the first one. On June 3rd, 2009, there's a lady in Greensboro, North Carolina. I read the article. It was called Double Dip, and there was a pun intended. She lost her license because of a DUI. But in North Carolina, you don't have to have a license to drive a moped. So she got a moped. Even though she was warned by the radio and the television stations not to venture outside on this day, because on June 3rd, 2009, Greensboro, North Carolina received four inches of rain in about two hours. All the lakes, all the rivers and streams in town, they were all flooded over the bridges. It was dangerous and it continued to rain. Everybody said, don't go outside. What does she do? She gets on her moped and she drives through the flooded areas. She goes right through a police roadblock. She saw it, she recognized it, but she thought I can make it. She ends up on a bridge. She gets swept by the current. The police officer jumps in to try to save her life. She's drowning. For 20 minutes, they struggle, both. He finally gets her out. They're exhausted. She's by the side of the road in pools of water. He goes over to the patrol car to call in what had happened. He turns around to find her, only to realize that she jumped back in for a second time. A double dip. Now, when I read that, I'm thinking, what goes through a person's mind to do that? I mean, sequentially, what do you decide? What doors do you go through that leads you to the conclusion, hey, I almost drowned, I almost died, but I'm going to jump back in. Now, I want you to think about that vignette because we'll pull it back in in a moment and take the second one. I'm going to ask you a question now, and I want you to answer it. Not out loud, keep it to yourself, but answer it. Here's the question. Do you agree that what you believe determines what you do? What you believe determines what you do. If you believe that all people whose first names begin with the letter D are annoying, you're going to avoid people like Dane and Dana. <laughs> if you believe that money grows on trees, you're probably going to plant some trees or at least find some. If you believe that little green men from Mars come down and abduct you anytime there's a full moon, when a full moon occurs, you're probably going to stay inside. My only point is this. What you believe about anything determines how you're going to interact with it. If you believe that by eating chocolate, you will have a pimple fest on your face and you don't want a pimple fest on your face, chances are you're going to govern how much chocolate you eat, if not avoid it entirely. Now here's where the problem occurs. The problem happens when what you believe is wrong, because then it will catalyze wrong activity. Wrong belief catalyzes wrong activity. Go back to the lady on the moped. Why did she jump back in? Her mother said to save her moped. That's why she went back in for a double dip. Now, what is she thinking? I mean, I don't know what she was thinking, but whatever it was, it was erroneous. Maybe she thought, I almost drowned the first time, but I'm stronger now. Or maybe, now that I'm tired, I'll float. The policeman saved me. If I jump back in, he's so courageous and he's good looking. Maybe he'll save both me and the moped. 
Or maybe if I catch my moped, I can ride it out of this torrent. I don't know what she was thinking. All I can tell you is it was wrong because she died. She's no longer with us. Now follow the progression. What you believe matters because it determines how you live. What you believe matters because it determines how you live. I'm taking you to this hard passage in Luke 13 because Jesus has got a task. He's got to change a major belief in every single one of us that's so innate, intrinsic. It is so natural. It's as intuitive and as instinctive as eating and sleeping. And that's not going to be easy because this thing that we all believe is producing or catalyzing wrong activity in our life. It's robbing us of joy and peace and everything he wants us to have. So he's motivated. But to do that, when you want to change a fundamental belief system in somebody, it's not going to be easy. You can't do it just by dispensing information and saying, okay, here's how it is. Because you'll resist it. You'll be defensive. You'll run away from it. What he's got to do, now stay with me, he's got to create, and all good teachers know this, he's got to create tension. He's almost got to make you mad. He's got to induce frustration so that you're so angry that he's over here, you're over here, that somehow you'll come back to the middle. That's exactly what he does in Luke chapter 13. He uses two props to do it. One they're familiar with, the second they're not. Here's the first. It's about a tower that collapsed over in Siloam. Jesus says, I want to remind you, I know that you know about the tower, first century disaster that was being built in Siloam. It fell. We're not told why. Caved in and it crushed 18 people to death. And Jesus uses this prop. And in Luke 13, he says, I know what you're thinking. I know what you've been thinking. You're thinking that they died because they're worse people than you. You're thinking that's why disaster happens to anybody. In fact, in Luke 13, 4, he says, do you think that they are more guilty than all the others living in Jerusalem? I tell you, no. But unless you repent, you too will all perish. Now, come up, look up. Here's what we do. Isn't it true that any tragedy happens, the questions start to come. We say, why did that happen? Is God judging us? Have we fallen away from him? That's the question that comes when something bad happens, isn't it? Why did it happen to them and not us? Is it because they were better people? Is it because those who suffered, are they more evil than others? Are they worse sinners than other people? And you and I, even though we won't admit it, instinctively, intuitively, consciously or subconsciously, that happens to us. When something bad happens to us, immediately we begin to think, what have I done wrong? Am I being punished by God? Am I worse than other people? Yet when something good happens, tell me if I'm right now, we tend to infer from superior circumstances, superior character. If something good's happening to me, it's because I'm just better than everybody else. So when good, when good things happen to us, we say, well, you know, I do try hard. I am a pretty good person. I guess it's only natural that these good things should happen to me. Superior character, superior talent, superior wisdom. Absolutely instinctive. Now here's what Jesus does. He comes on the scene and he says, you guys got it all wrong. I need to give you a counter perspective. It's going to be counterintuitive, but I need you to hear me. He says, were they worse people? And is that why this disaster happened to them? He says, I tell you the truth. No, I like that answer. They're not worse than you. Good. But it's the second part of that verse I don't like. He says, repent, lest ye likewise perish. What's he saying? Now notice what he's not saying. He's not saying, no, 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 no. They're not worse than you. You're good people and they're good people. And it's just a series of unfortunate events. It could happen to anybody. No. What makes this so difficult? It appears on the surface, at least, that Jesus is saying this. Hey, when it comes right down to it, every single one of you deserve to have a tower fall on you. 
I don't like that. What happened to them should have happened to you, so it did not, and repent before a tower falls on you or even something worse. This is Today with Jeff Vines. Pastor Jeff is preaching about our entitlement as human children of God using one of Jesus' parables from Luke chapter 13. Let's continue now. You think about it. What erroneous intrinsic belief is Jesus trying to counter? I must have read 15 books in my life that ask this question. Why do bad things happen to good people? Do you know what the philosophical assumption is behind that title that no one ever asks? It's really bad philosophy. There's an assumption. And the assumption is this. Well, it is true that there are some genocidal maniacs out there that deserve to have a tower fall on them, but most of us don't. In fact, it goes one step further, and it's this. Listen now, young people. Got my eyes on you. God owes us all a good life. That's the intrinsic innate assumption. God owes us all a good life. Jesus comes on the scene in Luke 13 and he says, can you prove that assumption? On what basis do you believe that? That's what a good teacher does. When you ask him a difficult question, he doesn't give you an answer. He gives you another question in order that you may open up within the assumptions of your question. Because when you ask a question, you assume things. So when you say, how can bad things happen to good people? There are some assumptions you've made. Number one, that there are good people. And number two, that God owes us all a good life. Now in Jesus' mind, here's how his mind works. All through his teaching, here's what you see him doing. He says, God gives you life as a gift. Your breath as a gift. You didn't earn it. It's not like you did something in eternity past before you were born, before you made your way to your mother's womb. And because you were so good, you got to be born. No, being born is a gift. He grants you privileges that you did not earn. The love between a man and a wife, relationships, fun, sunrise, sunset, sex within the context of marriage, food that tastes good, not just sustenance. God could just say, okay, you need food. It gives you energy. You survive. But no, it gives you the tongue, the palate, and it tastes good. Chocolate, blueberry pie, cheesecake, all the things you ate during Christmas. It's shame on you that you ate, <laughs> but you loved it, didn't you? When it, you loved the taste, you loved it. Why? Why are we given taste as well as sustenance? There are two experiences I remember in my life that stand out in this context. Now, there are many other experiences, but two in this context. The first is my honeymoon and not for the reason you think. <laughs> I remember three days after the marriage, standing on the shore down in Jekyll Island, Georgia. I'd taken my wife there for our honeymoon and she was out in the ocean swimming with the dolphins. She loves to go out and swim. And I, it just, it overwhelms me because I have been enamored with the beauty of my wife since day one. Still am, still am. And I looked at her and I thought, okay, it is true I tricked her, but that's another sermon. How on earth did I get this woman? And how, who, who determined that marriage should be part of the human experience? That love should be part of, and, and this beautiful woman would marry me. How, how did that happen? Why, what did I do to earn that? And now 26 years of marriage, why, why do I get to have this woman live in the same house with me? What did I do? The same thing hit me when I was in Zimbabwe, Africa, and I saw Victoria Falls for the first time. And I walked down through the mist, and the thundering mist, the musiotunio, they call it. And I make my way down to the steps. There's a camera over my left shoulder. And you look out and you see the falls, that great divide between Zambia and Zimbabwe, into which the Zambezi falls. And then you 
span out wide or you pan out wide and you see the beautiful falls that just stretch forever and the water rushing down. And my question is, why at both those moments, experiencing and asking the question, why do I get to enjoy this? Did I not bend my knee and give gratitude and worship to God? Because it's not intrinsic. It's not innate. It's not natural. That's something. I'm not like G.K. Chesterton who said, here ends another day during which I have had eyes, ears, hands, and the great world around me. Tomorrow begins another day. Why am I allowed to? Is it not true that Jeff Vines often has difficulty tearing himself away from his own self-aggrandizement and indulgences? That would never be true about you. Isn't it true that it's difficult sometimes for me to get motivated to worship God? They say the average church attender comes once or twice a month for one hour. One hour. One hour. People who tell me that I don't read the Bible, I don't pray, and I'm not growing in my relationship with God because I don't have time. Now think about this for a moment. Here's what Jesus is saying in Luke 13. He's taking us way over here to make us mad, to induce frustration. He's saying, you treat God with such disdain. He's the giver of all good things, and yet you truly believe he owes you more. He gives, you don't worship, but yet he owes you more. And you get mad when he doesn't deliver, and you leave God. Now, I don't like it any more than you do. Now, stay with me. We'll get to the good news. It turns out good, I promise. I don't like it any more than you do. But Jesus has the goods on us, doesn't he? He knows exactly who we are. Gary Thomas, my favorite author, one of my favorite authors, talks about taking his six-year-old daughter, Kelsey, to Knott's Berry Farm. He says, there are virtually no lines. We're having the time of our lives going from one ride to the next ride to the next ride without having to wait. Little cars and little trains and a flying school bus, Ferris wheel, a log ride, everything. He says, I'm waiting for my little girl to come over and thank me for this great experience. Instead, she begins to say this with a slightly desperate edge to her voice, he writes, Daddy, what's next? <laughs> Here's the truth about us. As our enjoyment grows, our demand grows. If we have something we like, we want more of it. As our demand grows, our entitlement grows. Well, I had it before, I deserve to have it again. I took my father-in-law and my brother-in-law to play golf this past week at my favorite golf course over at Desert Dunes. I said, guys, the best thing about this uh, golf course is the hot dogs. The best thing about it, hot dogs. We got there, the course was open, but no hot dogs. And when I asked the lady, hey, we'll take three hot dogs with everything. She goes, oh, sorry, we don't have them. I, I, if you could have seen the look on my, well, you don't, you owe me a hot dog. <laughs> I drove all the way out here. I told my friends about your hot dogs. I demand a hot dog now. Go get, go find them. Just bring them in here. I'm going to play nine. When I come back in, I want my hot dog. That's what I, I didn't say all that, but that's what I was feeling. Where's my hot dog? As our enjoyment grows, our demand grows. As our demand grows, our entitlement grows. And as our entitlement grows, our appreciation fades, right? You don't show gratitude for something you think that's owed to you. You don't go into your boss and say, thank you so much for my paycheck. You're just a good man of gracious and mercy. Thank you. No, you just give me the paycheck because I earned every dime of it. <laughs> when you think something is owed to you, there is little or no gratitude and you live with a what's next scenario. What have you done for me lately? And you never give thanks in the moment. 
Woody Allen, in a confession, in a documentary called Wild Man Blues, this is what he writes. I've got the kind of personality that when I'm here in Europe, I miss New York. And when I'm in New York, I miss Europe. I just don't want to be where I am at any given moment. I would rather be somewhere else. There's no way to beat that problem because no matter where you are, it's chronic dissatisfaction. This is Today with Jeff Vines. We'll have to leave it there for today, but we'll continue in Luke chapter 13 next time as we delve deeper into our paradigm series. Your philosophy in life is this. Why do bad things happen to good people? Why is there so much pain and suffering in our world? And Jesus says, here's my philosophy. My question is, why does God allow so little, given the fact that we treat him with such disdain? Today with Jeff Vines, just another way vision is connecting faith to your life. Thanks for taking time to listen to this audio on demand from Vision Christian Media. To find out more about us, go to vision.org.au.